You are listening to the Science and Soul of Living Well, where we highlight evidence-based tools from psychological science and complementary and alternative medicine to help us all cultivate resilience and live with more meaning, purpose, and alignment with personal values, even in the most stressful and darkest of times. I'm Melissa Mingfoynes, your host, and I am also a clinical psychologist and educator, trauma-informed mindfulness meditation and yoga teacher, and Ayurvedic doula. Welcome, everyone. Thank you all so much for joining me for this week's episode. Before we launch in, I just wanted to remind you all about my new free four-part video series, The Science and Soul of Building Resilience. I'm really excited to share this series with you and it presents concrete resilience building strategies that can be integrated into your daily life along with the research rationale for each of them. So if you are interested, please do check it out and share it with others. The link is in the episode notes and there is also some information about it on my Instagram account. So many of us are aware of the impact of judgments in our lives or maybe we've even heard people say things like try not to judge yourself so much or let go of your judgments or judgments are so unhelpful. And so on an intellectual level, we can appreciate that judgments may not serve us in our lives and yet not really know what to do instead. So today we'll be talking about what judging really involves, what it look like, what it looks like, what actually makes something a judgment or not. How do we differentiate between a judgmental and a non-judgmental statement or stance? We'll also be talking about the ways in which judgments can both help and harm us. I'll be sharing a bit about the research and what we know from that research about the importance of working towards a more non-judgmental stance in our lives more regularly. And finally, some concrete practices we can engage in when we notice judging. And hopefully that will give you a springboard to think about your own life and any of these practices that you might be interested in integrating in a more regular way. I've actually wanted to speak on this topic of judgment for a few months now in light of an experience I had this year at my son's school. So I've been very lucky this year to have a unique opportunity to visit his class weekly and do mindfulness-based practices with them, which has been a real treat. And As part of that time, we often will read some kind of book that has a theme related to mindfulness. And one of these weeks, we read the book, Your Thoughts Matter. I don't know if anyone knows that book. It's a book by Esther Cordova on growth mindset. And it personifies our fixed mindset and our growth mindset as two friends that each of us has, Growy and Fixie. And it really normalizes the presence of both mindsets in in our lives. And so I 
I had been bringing this book for several weeks in a row and the kids were really enjoying it and talking about their own growies and fixies and one day I decided to switch it up and bring a different book and I imagine you can see where this is going. So they were hugely disappointed that I had switched things up and they were saying things like, oh, that new book is so boring. That book is so stupid. And of course they hadn't really read the book yet. And so all sorts of judgments were circulating and I observed their agitation. I observed my son seeming increasingly distressed and defensive of my book choice and kind of protective of me because he is a very loving and tender soul and was probably feeling hurt by some of these negative judgments and and worried about how they might land with me. And so I tried to validate their disappointment as understandable and making sense in a kid-oriented kind of way because of course they weren't explicitly saying they were disappointed but I was doing a little bit of of mind reading and presuming that was the case and also trying to use it as an opportunity to talk to them about judgments and ways in which judgments serve us in our lives and ways in which they get in our way and so while I've had similar conversations with people in my life personally and professionally about judgments about the importance of cultivating a non-judgmental stance and noticing judgmental thoughts when they arise I found myself a little bit stuck to be honest trying to have this conversation with a group of frustrated distressed and agitated five to six year olds so it really forced me to dig deeper and to articulate for myself why judging And not judging can make such a difference in our lives. So to go beyond this more academic or intellectualized understanding of it and to think more for myself, why why is this such a problem sometimes? And to then be able to communicate it in a developmentally centered kind of way. So I tried to do this in the moment and it was imperfect and, and somehow we got to a place where we were able to give the new book a chance and ultimately they then had a second favorite book. And so at the end of this book reading, someone very astutely asked, So if I say I feel like that book is boring, is that a judgment? So that I think is a beautiful question and something we will answer today and is the spirit of why I'm here today to really talk about what does it mean to judge? What do we do when we notice judging and and why does any of this really matter? So I think it's helpful to begin with a conversation about what judgments are. So at their core, judgments involve describing things as good or bad, valuable or worthless, smart or stupid, terrible or wonderful, beautiful or ugly, healthy or unhealthy. I could go on and on. Essentially in a polarized, black and white kind of way. And the evaluation could be good or bad. So there are positive judgments that exist just as there are negative judgments. Judgments can also involve describing how things should or shouldn't be. So if I say something like, you shouldn't say that kind of thing at the dinner table, that is a judgment. There is an implicit judgment there. I'm not necessarily saying that's disrespectful. That's an evaluation in a negative way that is also a judgment. But me saying that there is a certain way to be or not to be 
involves a judgment. There is an underlying judgment there. There's an implication that there's a right or wrong way to do something. And judgments also often involve comparing and contrasting. And so that's another way. When we create some kind of hierarchy, like that is better than that, or that is worse than that, or this person is healthier or unhealthier than that person, these kinds of compare contrast modes that we get into are often indicative of a judging mind. So the challenge here is that one of our minds functions in life is to judge and our minds are judging machines and they they need to be because everything that we experience in life needs to be filtered and categorized and dealt with in some kind of automatic way otherwise we would all be so much more depleted and exhausted than than we already are and so there's an, I, I do want to say there's nothing inherently wrong with these judgments it is the nature of the mind to judge And yet, there is a certain point at which judgments can veer from helpful to more unhelpful. So let me start by talking a little bit about the utility of judgments. So judgments can allow for quick descriptions because they create simple categories. As I said, one definition of a judgment is this black and white polarized kind of nature. So when I am able to quickly categorize a situation or a person as safe or dangerous, trustworthy or untrustworthy, that can help me make a decision quickly. It can help me integrate and interpret a whole lot of information and feedback that I'm getting from the external environment as well as my internal environment. What emotions I'm feeling, what thoughts are arising, what physical sensations are showing up in my body. And so when we are able to say something like that, that feels unsafe or that's wrong or that's stupid, that can be an efficient way to categorize things in a way that facilitates interpretation and and integration of information as well as decision making. Oftentimes judgments are fast, shorthand ways of describing our preferences and various consequences. So if at the water cooler I say to someone, oh, that was an awful meeting or that was really rough, that's a quick way for me to express my my preference, what that was like for me in a way that can facilitate communication and can expedite it as opposed to me going through the blow by blow descriptive recollection or narration of what about that meeting felt so aversive or tiring or rough. Another way in which judgments can be useful, which relates to these first two points, is that judgments can keep us safe. So especially if we have had a history of trauma or even negative life experiences, we have all had negative life experiences in our lives, most of the time we our systems are trying to learn from those experiences and not replicate prior mistakes, even if it's not something that we are intentionally setting out to do to learn from an experience. Our our system is constantly trying to calibrate and iterate and adjust. And so if I've had a negative experience in the past, being able to quickly judge a situation as similar or dissimilar to an experience from my past can be a protective mechanism. It can keep me safe in a literal way in terms of physical safety. Um, 
and also in in more of a an emotional kind of way as well which is to say that if I in the past had a negative experience with vulnerability or sharing about an instance in my life that I feel shame about or embarrassed about and then someone criticized me or judged me in response remembering that experience and being able to quickly assess in the current moment how similar the current experience feels to my that negative experience from my past can help me make a decision in the moment about whether or not I want to move forward with being vulnerable and sharing. So there is a protective element here. And finally, judgments can help us understand what gives us energy and what gives us meaning and purpose in life. So this is the more positive judgment side. So if I'm able to say that's beautiful um, or that's exciting and 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 use these positive descriptors that can help me understand what does and doesn't resonate with me what does and doesn't leave me feeling trained and so in in the same way that judgments can keep us safe when we can quickly label and create these simple categories in this fast and shorthand kind of way they can also help us discern what kinds of activities to engage in what who we want to surround ourselves with and how we can find balance in our lives so you may be wondering okay well this makes a lot of sense so what's the problem if judgments have all of these helpful purposes these functions that they serve what's the big deal why is non-judgmental stance so important and so I want to share some reflections that I've come upon in my own life and my work with clients that I think help me stay incentivized to try to observe judgments in my life and replace them with a more non-judgmental stance or non-judgmental way of perceiving a situation or communicating about a situation. So the first is that when we use judgments, they can distract us from the reality of what is. So judgments can replace the facts of a situation and because they can replace the facts of the situation, when we judge, we often stop observing what is happening in a nuanced and fine-tuned kind of way. So what I mean by that is if I say, that was a horrible meeting, I'm not actually factually articulating what happened in that meeting. So my judgment of that meeting has replaced those facts in my mind. That has become the dominant narrative. And so that may lead me to attune more to examples, to details that are consistent with that narrative and may also lead me to be less aware or attuned to examples, details, pieces of information that go against that narrative. So a judgmental stance can distract us from the reality of what is. It can keep us in our stories and our narratives of reality in a way that muddies the waters. So when we are able to let go of judgments and to stay more aligned with the reality of what is, we can see things more clearly, which then helps us respond to reality rather than our stories about reality or our narratives and versions of reality. 
Another issue with judgments is that, yes, as we mentioned earlier, our minds are judging machines. In many ways, we need to have judgments so that we're not overwhelmed by the amount of sensory input and information that we're processing day in and day out. And yet, when judgments go unchecked, when we are not aware of the extent to which we are judging, it can become taxing and controlling. So there's sort of this sweet spot where we do need to judge to some degree. And yet if we're judging too much, we can also find ourselves very exhausted and overwhelmed and emotionally taxed and physically taxed. So both ends of the spectrum can be equally exhausting, under judging as well as over judging. It takes energy to evaluate every experience that we encounter and that can leave us with this presumption that we then need to do something all the time. If we're judging, 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 that often leads us with this impression or this impetus to then do something about it. And that's part of where the exhaustion exhaustion comes into play. It's not just the exhaustion that comes from judging, judging, judging every single experience. It's then what we feel we need to do about it thereafter. Judgments can also reinforce unhelpful tendencies or habits. So if we're labeling something with a positive judgment, this is amazing, this is beautiful, then that may reinforce our tendency to chase the good, to grasp for more, to strive for more pleasure seeking, to cling to it when we have it, to hold on to it. And that can lead to a lot of of suffering, that chasing and that grasping and that clinging and that striving. On the flip side, when we label something as bad or disgusting, whatever the judgment is, it can reinforce this tendency to avoid, resist, hide, run away from the the aversive in life. And so our culture often reinforces pleasure seeking and pain aversion. And so judgments are a way that, that those kinds of tendencies get fostered. Another tendency that can get reinforced is ignoring the neutral. So we can fall into this pattern where we're only registering situations, experiences, impressions when they rise to a certain level of emotional intensity. So if we're judging something as neutral, we may go on autopilot. We may miss out on life. We we may not quite register or experience or savor this more middle zone and only experience the high highs and the low lows and ignoring the neutral or missing out on the more neutral or moderate end of that spectrum can also make it difficult for us to be with calm or quiet or ease and to again reinforce this grasping or this fleeing or even this sense of disquiet when it comes to to boredom and to being with something that is in in the middle it's it's neither good nor bad it's more neutral and then when we are unaware of judgments and their influence on our behavior we're sort of riding a wave we're kind of like on a roller coaster along for the ride without necessarily having a sense of empowerment so it i've heard this metaphor used before that 
when we become trapped by our judgments and our conditioned reactions to our internal and external life experience, it's like a marionette reacting to a a puppeteer. We're not in control of, of our limbs. We are not the doer. Something else is happening to us. It's a more passive way of approaching life. And so there is some utility to being aware of judgments, not only because of the unhelpful tendencies or habits that they might reinforce but because of the way they can influence our behavior in a way that is a a form of of passivity and just kind of going with the flow another important piece to highlight is that all emotions serve important functions they are evolutionarily adaptive for those of you who know me you know that i i highlight this a lot because I think it's something that's really important that we often lose sight of when we are overwhelmed. So for example, sadness can function to get us to turn inward to figure out what we what we need, which may be more social support when we're feeling sad. Anger. Anger can help mobilize us to propel us. It can give us a fire that launches us into a problem-solving kind of mode. When we feel afraid, that can help protect us. It can help us avoid something that may be aversive or that may cause us harm. So when we judge our emotional experience, we're not only suppressing those emotions and not allowing them to move through us in a way that may allow them to soften, but we're also making it more difficult for them to do the jobs that they are designed to do. In this way, emotions are like a medicine, and if we don't allow them to to do their work and to carry out the important functions that they are serving, we're not allowing ourselves to to be healed by their medicine. Another way in which judgments can be problematic is that they tend to feed emotions that can cause problems in our lives. So of course any emotion in an extreme can create challenges in our lives, but certain emotions can be fed by judgments. So emotions like anger and guilt and shame. So I think this is an example in which it can be helpful to reflect on your own personal experience to bring this point to life. So take a minute to see if you can recall a recent time where you were very judgmental either of yourself or another person in a negative way. So having thoughts like that's ridiculous, that's stupid, they shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have done that. So some slew of negative judgments that led to certain emotions like anger and guilt and shame. So if you call that, recall that experience and bring that experience to mind and imagine yourself in that situation and regardless of how it played out, see if you can imagine yourself staying in that judgmental place. So almost like being a broken record of those judgments where internally you're repeating those judgments, externally you're repeating them in conversations with other people and just see what you notice in your body. So maybe just internally repeat those judgments silently to yourself again and again and just notice what shifts in your body. Notice how you feel. And most of the time when we keep 
judgment going, it feeds those negative emotions. It's pretty rare that when we're on a judgment train and we are in that kind of zone that anger and guilt and shame decrease. It's more often than not the case that the the judgments increase the intensity of those emotions. Another reason that that I think judgments are so problematic is because they can also distance us from our true emotions. They can cover over how we truly feel about something. So as an example, if I'm feeling envious of someone, I might judge them. Or if I'm feeling hurt by someone, I might judge them. And when I express that judgment aloud or even, again, if it stays within myself, of course, perhaps there is an element of of anger that is feeding that judgment. But if I stay in the anger and keep perpetuating that judgmental narrative, it allows me to stay in the anger, which for many of us is a more comfortable place to be, a more, it can feel like a more empowering place to be than the more envious or hurt place. That is a place that often feels more vulnerable. And so if my judgment is covering over the envy and the anger, um, excuse me, the envy and the hurt, and convincing me that the problem is really that I'm just so angry, and so I have to figure out how to be less angry, or I have to figure out how to get them to stop doing doing what they're doing that is causing me to be angry or making me angry. That's often another piece of judgmental language is that we often get to a place where we are so judgmental that we are convinced that someone else has caused our emotions, that they are the source of them when really it's it's the experience. It's not necessarily that they put these emotions in us. So if I'm in this place where I'm so angry that I either feel like I need to manage my anger or they need to change or some mix of both, I'm not actually getting to that envy and that hurt, which is equally valid in this equation. And I'm not then managing those emotions. And and again, that isn't really acknowledging the truth of my experience, the true breadth and depth of my emotional experience. So related to this point is the problem of judgments preventing us from digging deeper. So if I'm, for an example, I'm judging a friend of mine and and saying, oh, that's so rude that she shared that that story about my life with this other friend without without asking. Or maybe I'm responding to something that someone else shares with me and I say, oh, that's so mature, so immature that they reacted in that way. So that may feel tempting to not further explore what's at the root of my judgment in a way that can then help me figure out what to do about it, how to recover from that experience. So yes, maybe many people would agree with the judgment that sharing something about someone's personal private life without without that person's permission is rude or inconsiderate. Um, so it doesn't matter that everyone else or most people would agree that that is something that they judge as rude or inconsiderate because it doesn't really speak to why that particular instance is bothering me so much in this moment. Is it because this person's actions have reminded me of other times in my life when something similar has happened? Is it because they violated a certain expectation I had of them? 
or that they trespassed a certain understanding that I thought we shared and a mutual understanding of the contract, so to speak, of our relationship. Is this experience bringing up a deeper questioning of how much I feel I can truly trust this person in my life? Is it bringing up broader concerns I have about this relationship that perhaps don't even necessarily relate to this specific incident of them sharing something about my personal life that I didn't give explicit permission for? But it it brought to the forefront some of those deeper concerns. Perhaps I'm realizing that my interpretation, my judgmental interpretation of their actions isn't actually really taking into account all of the facts of the situation. Maybe I'm jumping to conclusions and maybe I'm not giving them the benefit of the doubt. So you could see how once we dig below the layer of the initial judgment to try to reflect on our experience that we are entitled to have and what it is about our experience that feels so problematic. What are the ways in which my actions or another person's actions are weighing on me so heavily that are contributing to the judgment? When I can do that deeper work, when I can get to the root of the judgment, it can help me it can help me understand and clarify what what I may want to do next. For example, is there some inner work that could be helpful for me to do around this pattern of mine of how quickly I jump to conclusions about other people's behavior when I only have part of the story? Or perhaps I'm realizing, wow, it actually is really difficult for me to trust other people or to trust other people after I've been vulnerable about something personal that I've shared. Or perhaps is there something external, something interpersonal regarding this specific relationship? Is there something that needs to be repaired? Maybe it was something that happened decades ago that I thought I had moved on from or let go of that is actually still rearing its ugly head, so to speak, to use another judgmental phrase. And so is there something that needs to be repaired in this relationship, a way that trust needs to be rebuilt? Or is there a way that I think there could be room for me to be more communicative about my needs. Perhaps this wasn't an explicit shared understanding in our relationship. And so the, I feel as though the onus is on me to be more communicative about what my needs and expectations are vis-a-vis this relationship. So I think this is a really important point that staying at the level of judgment not only distances us from our true emotions and can muddy the waters of our emotional landscape but it can also prevent us from digging deeper and getting at the root source of our judgments in a way that can keep us stuck. Another problem with judgments is that they are fragile. Anything that can be judged as good can also be judged as bad and so when we are able to describe our experience in more detail rather than using these shorthand shortcuts categorical descriptors of situations there is a a fragility there that can be problematic judgments can also promote disconnection so sometimes we lead with a self-judgment to protect us from other people's judgments which can not only lead to more judgment but can also create a barrier to connection it can decrease intimacy so let me give an example of that 
let's just say I'm really feeling shame over something that I've done. I've sneaked a peek at a text message or an email because I'm feeling really insecure in my relationship or I'm over-preparing for a presentation or a conversation for someone, and yet I, I want some support around what's coming up for me. And so I go to, to a friend, a loved one, a family member, and rather than starting by saying something like, I have something I want to share with you that I'm feeling a lot of shame about and, and would love your support about, Rather than leading with something like that, that can feel much more vulnerable and much more exposing, if I say something like, I have to tell you about something totally ridiculous that I did. It's just so stupid that I that I did this. I spent 15 hours preparing for this presentation or this conversation with my mother-in-law or I... I looked at this text message on so-and-so's phone. It's just, it's so stupid. It's so ridiculous that I did it. So that can feel less vulnerable, less exposing, right? To, to preempt the conversation with a bit of a caveat. I'm telling the other person that I, I know that this is silly. I know that this is stupid. That might feel like it prevents me from getting judged. It protects me from the other person's judgment. But in many ways, it can actually license their judgment. Because if I'm judging myself, they might then get the impression that that's okay to do as well that that it's okay to judge me or maybe that that's what I want maybe that I want them to join me in the judgment of myself so sometimes those caveats while they can make it feel more comfortable to preface a certain conversation in that way they may not have the function that we want them to have so they may not prevent judgment they actually may invite or solicit more judgment it can also prevent me from getting what I actually want, which is probably some support and some validation that that this was maybe a human and understandable behavior or action that, that I took. But if I'm not communicating the totality of my experience, the true breadth and depth of all of the emotions that I'm experiencing, I'm not actually accurately communicating my experience to someone else in a way that allows them to then validate it. If I'm staying at the level of oh this is so stupid or isn't it so ridiculous they might meet me at that same level they may not dig deeper and ask oh is this something you're feeling ashamed ashamed about is this it sounds like maybe you were really hurt here some people in our lives may do that digger deeping for more some people in our lives may dig more deeply on our behalves or encourage us to do so but many people won't and so we can't expect our needs to get met when we're not accurately communicating what our experience is we're only communicating a part of it which then doesn't give them all of the information and deprives them of the opportunity of fully validating and supporting us to the extent that we want and deserve and need so when we lead with these judgments, we are really minimizing the possibility of our needs getting as fully met as they could be. It also can get in the way of 
disconnection from an interpersonal perspective. So if someone in my life is doing something that is bringing up irritation or frustration in me, if I say that's disgusting that you do that or that's so rude or that's so inappropriate, that is not a gateway to intimacy <laughs> or resolution or collaboration or understanding. Um, the, the things that lead to intimacy and collaboration and understanding are often curiosity and openness. And so if I instead say, I'm noticing I'm having a strong reaction when you interrupt me in the middle of a sentence. That's very different than that's so rude, that's so inappropriate. Oftentimes when we are met with those labels, it increases our defensiveness and our own emotional reactivity in a way that prevents resolution. So when we are able to express what we're experiencing in a more descriptive way rather than a more judgmental way, here's what I'm reacting to, here's what's coming up in me, here's exactly what you said that I think brought up this emotion in me, that created this tension in my body. I'm wondering if you've noticed that, I'm wondering what you think about that. It's a more open stance, it's a more curious stance that is more intimacy building than the judgmental stance which leads to more shutdown and defensiveness usually. The final point I want to make about judgment and some of the problems with judgment is that judgment is a form of emotional reactivity. It's a form of not really being with our experience and opening up to it completely in this mindful, present kind of way. So when we are judging, as I mentioned earlier, it often leads to either a striving or a running away or an ignoring. Whereas when we are practicing non-judgment, there isn't anything to be done about the present moment. There's no grasping for more, resisting what's there, or ignoring. There's inability to rest in or be in the reality of the wholeness of the moment as it is. There's the ability to be with rather than to need to do something. So that doesn't mean that it's not painful to sit with these emotions or these experiences, but it is a way that it can give us a bit of a refreshing lifting of a weight off of our shoulders, even to set down the judging mind for a short while. So before I transition into sharing some practices and ideas about ways that we can relate to our judgments in a different kind of way, I want to briefly talk about the research on judgment and non-judgmental stance. So non-judgmental stance is part of many definitions of both mindfulness and self-compassion. And research shows that both mindfulness and self-compassion have been shown to be associated with fewer symptoms of depression and anxiety, as well as increased quality of life. There's also some research which shows that non-judgmental stance has a positive impact on self-esteem. So there are certain facets of mindfulness which are associated with increased self-esteem and non-judgment is one of them. And not only does non-judgment 
predict positive self-esteem, it also is predictive of more overall life satisfaction. And one reason for this is that non-judgment can help us be in contact with negative emotions or aversive experiences in a way that promotes acceptance. And so this relates to the last point I made about some of the problems with, with judging, how it can judging can lead us to feel as though there is something to be done with our experience rather than allowing us to just be with our experience. And so that ability to to be with experience is part of acceptance. And in fact, many people have argued that we aren't truly accepting life as it is, ourselves as we are, our emotions as they are, if we are judging them. So for example, if I say something like, oh, it's so stupid that I'm feeling so anxious about this, I'm not really accepting my anxiety as it is because me saying it is stupid implies it shouldn't be there, implies that there is a right or wrong way to to be in this situation and anxiety falls into the wrong way to be. So non-judgment helps us arrive at more acceptance. And acceptance is something that has been shown to be associated, again, with decreased symptoms of anxiety and depression, as well as a lower heart rate during stressful activities. So it's not just operating in terms of benefit on a mental health level, also on this physiological, physical level. There is also some research that shows that acceptance can lead to or at least be associated with decreased trauma symptoms even when we account for the severity of the traumatic experiences we have endured. So essentially to me what this research shows is that non-judgment helps us arrive at acceptance and acceptance helps us have improved quality of life and responses to stressors both in the moment of the stressors themselves and following them. And of course, acceptance doesn't mean we, I I mean, I don't think I, it's probably not helpful to say of course because I think it's not, not very obvious at times, but acceptance doesn't mean that we are approving of a traumatic event or condoning it or saying that we're glad that it happened. That's not what acceptance means. Acceptance means that we are acknowledging the reality that it happened rather than suppressing it, rather than ignoring it, rather than denying it. So the acceptance piece isn't about approving or condoning or even expressing gratitude. It's really about acknowledging the reality of what is. And finally, I want to mention some research about parenting and non-judgmental stance and how a non-judgmental stance as parenting can have a positive impact on our children. So mindful parenting is a behavior in or set of behaviors in psychological research which has been defi- has been defined in a number of different ways with different dimensions so listening with full attention having compassion for the child emotional non-reactivity in parenting emotional awareness of the child emotional awareness of ourselves and non-judgmental acceptance of our functioning as parents so those are six dimensions that through research in psychology have been shown to be markers, so to speak, of mindful parenting. And some research shows that of all of those six parenting dimensions, all of those six mindful parenting dimensions, only the dimension of non-judgmental acceptance of our functioning as parents 
is significantly associated with adolescence problems of internalization. So these are challenges like depression and anxiety. So what this means is that the children of parents who are more non-judgmentally accepting of their own functioning as parents report fewer symptoms of depression anxiety, depression and anxiety. So to me, that's a really powerful example of how our non-judgmental stance towards ourselves can actually have a profound impact on the people around us, specifically in this case, our children. So in light of this research, in light of the problems related to judgments, even though there are ways in which they serve us, what are we working towards instead? What do we do when we notice judgments? So the goal isn't necessarily to stop judging because as I've said, that's an important function of our minds. The goal is to really notice the situations in our lives and our reactions to them and describing them without judgment. And this is a way that we can really change our relationship to judgment and become less identified with it, less attached to our narratives and our stories and our renditions of what is happening. So instead of, oh, what a jerk he is, something like, I'm feeling really angry. Again, this allows me more space to decide how to be effective, how to move forward. It can interrupt my reactivity. It can prevent me from making things worse. And again, this is the core essence of what it means to be mindful, to be able to observe and describe our experience without judgment. So it's like being a narrator of the internal and external world. So when my son runs up to me at the end of the day and says, Mommy, I missed you. I love you so much. I can notice his tone of voice and his facial expression. I can also notice my own reaction, the feeling of warmth inside, that that lightness in my chest, noticing myself smile, maybe even noticing thoughts like, oh, I love this so much. I don't want this to end. So really being a narrator of your own experience. So we're not trying to do the impossible, which would be to stop judgments from ever arising. We're trying to shift our relationship to our judgments. We're trying to acknowledge them as thoughts so that we don't get swept away by them and again, ride the wave of those judgments as they arise in our minds. I want to transition now into talking a bit about some concrete ways in which we can cultivate a shift in our relationship to judgments. So the first is to become more aware of when we're judging. It's difficult to shift our relationship to judging if we're not fully aware of all the ways in which we may be judging all of the kinds of circumstances in which judgmental thoughts are arising. And so We can do this in a number of ways. One is a very concrete practice that I've done myself in my life and have recommended to to clients, which is to count judgmental thoughts and statements. Counting them by putting tick marks on a post-it, by moving 
objects from one pocket to the next. So say having small pieces of paper or paper clips or pennies in your left pocket and each time you notice a judgmental thought arise, you move one of those objects from the left pocket to the right and then at the end of the time span that you're monitoring, you count how many objects are in your right pocket. Or you could do this by clicking one of those old school sports counters. Essentially, the idea is that you're trying to make it very concrete and explicit. I find that this is an easier practice to do if you allocate a certain confined period of time. So say, for example, okay, while I'm on the phone with my aunt, I'm going to, during this half an hour, really monitor my own judgmental thoughts and statements that either I say aloud or that arise in me internally or for this period of the day or the next five minutes but not having it be something that is so protracted over a long period of time because I think again because of the number of thoughts that our minds generate each day I think some research shows that it's over 60,000 that's a lot to track and so if we're trying to become more aware of something we may not be that aware of then it helps I think to consolidate the time span over which we are monitoring it. You can also do this more informally and practice practice observing judgmental thoughts and statements by naming them as such. So saying to yourself, oh, there's another judgment. Oh, a judgmental thought arose in my mind. Or even I've done this practice before. When I say a judgmental thought out loud, say, you know what? That's a judgment. Let me rephrase that. Let me take that back and and do it again. And this can be supported by telling people in your life, hey, I'm going to really work on trying to be less judgmental in how I communicate or less judgmental in myself because especially if there are people that we love and trust to be supportive in this endeavor, having that kind of accountability can be really meaningful and helpful. You can also practice more of this informal observation of judgmental thoughts and statements in your day-to-day experiences. So sometimes when you attach a new practice to something that you already do every day anyway, it can feel like less of an add-on and a more accessible way to practice. So say for example, I'm going to practice observing my judgments every day when I take a shower or brush my teeth or when I'm tired. And that could be a practice where you not only notice judgments, but you practice describing without judgment. So noticing the sensations in your body, the emotions that you're feeling, your body posture, your facial expression, expressions, the what you are observing through your senses. Another practice that can be really helpful in shifting our relationship to judging is asking ourselves a values-based question in response to our judgments. So for example, do I want to be judging right now? Or is this judging helping or hurting me? Is this judging helping me be the person that I want to be? Is this judging helping me model what I want to model for other people? So asking yourself a pointed question like that when you notice you're judging can help you build your motivation to address the judging in a different kind of way, to reinforce, enhance your why for this practice because it it can be difficult to observe our judgments and to shift our habitual responses to them. 
Another way that we can shift our relationship to judgments is to replace them. To replace judgmental thoughts and statements with non-judgmental thoughts and statements, even if it's just internally and no one even knows that we're having judgmental thoughts. And so I'll walk through a couple of examples of ways in which that replacement can happen. So we can replace judgments with preferences. So rather than that's dumb, that's stupid, that's silly, that's immature, that's rude, that's inconsiderate, that's inappropriate, the list goes on, saying something like I don't like it when or I don't like it that he, I don't like it that she said that, that she did that. So expressing in forms of in, in the form of preferences or likes and dislikes. We can also express in the form of opinions and values. So rather than that's that's ridiculous that she thinks that. I don't share the belief that. So expressing a judgment in the form of an opinion or a value that you you possess. We can also replace judgments with feelings. So when I hear you say that I'm disorganized, I feel hurt because that's something I'm really working on. Or when I hear you say that I'm pushy, I feel like you're not okay with me expressing my needs. Something like that. I do want to include the caveat that even though emotions are not judgments in the same ways that preferences and opinions and values are not judgments, we need to be careful about not using emotions to mask judgment. So this is a circling back to the question I shared in the beginning of the episode about my son's class when someone asked me whether saying something like, I feel that this book is boring or I feel that you're boring is a judgment or not. And so the saying that something is boring is a judgment even if you put the words I feel in front of it. So if you are trying to rephrase or replace a judgment with something non-judgmental, it needs to stay at the layer of the feeling. So when I hear you say that I am going to not be able to go on vacation for six months until I meet the requirements of this project, I feel a sense of dread. So really sticking to your more pure feelings about it. You can share what the feelings are in response to as long as you're stating the facts and the details of the event or circumstance or situation that is contributing to those feelings and not including judgments, sticking with those descriptors. We can also replace judgments with sensations. So when I hear that story in the news, I feel nauseous. We can also reframe in terms of urges. So when you say that I'm inconsiderate, I have the urge to pull away. Or when you say that I'm considerate, I want to call you inconsiderate back. So reframing a judgment as some kind of urge that you're having. There can also be a naming of the judgment. So like we mentioned earlier, when we observe judgmental thoughts arising in us, being able to say something like, I'm noticing a judgmental thought, or oh, there's a judgment, can help give us space between us and the judgment to then figure out a different way to respond that may be an alternative to our habit. And so rather than saying that's stupid, 
saying something like, I'm noticing I'm having the thought that this is stupid. Again, that can sometimes feel like it's masquerading as a non-judgmental description or statement and actually is laden with judgment. So we, we need to be cautious too about our tone of voice and our body language because judgment happens in a, in a holistic way. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. You can also replace judgments with explaining associations or reminders. So when you say that I'm messy, it reminds me of when my mom used to call me messy as a teenager and how hurtful that was. Or when you shut the door really loudly when you're angry, it brings up some associations with past partners who used to do the same thing before they said some very hurtful things. So explaining some of the contextual factors that are contributing to your reactions. We can also reframe judgments as wishes or wants or aspirations. Um, so rather than it shouldn't be this way or it should this be this way, I want it to be this way. I wish it were this way. I aspire to, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We can also replace judgments with consequences. So saying something like, this is helpful for me. This is harmful for me. This is effective or ineffective. And that can be a helpful way to reframe or replace judgmental thoughts. And also sticking to the facts, which can be very challenging. And thinking of this in kind of a legalistic way, what would hold up in a court of law? What would be an objective description of reality that most people couldn't argue with? And so often the key here is to really stick to only what is observed through our sense organs, through vision, through taste, through smell, through hearing, through touch. So this event happened in this way at this time. Here's the play-by-play. So coming back to this idea of judgment as a holistic experience, we don't just express judgment verbally. We express judgment in our facial expressions, in our postures, in our voice tones, not just the voice tones we say aloud, but the voice tones in our heads. Often we have internal eye rolls that are judgmental, even if we're not externally rolling our eyes in a way that is observable to the outside. So part of changing our relationship to emotions, excuse me, to judgments involves not just observing the judgmental statements, but also the totality of our judgments. How is our posture? How is our voice tone? How is our facial expression? And how can we then shift those? Another way that we can practice non-judgmental stance or, or shifting our relationship to judgments is by practicing this idea of description. So telling someone what we did during the day in a non-judgmental way or about some kind of event that occurred. Again, so staying very concrete, only only relaying what we observe directly through our senses. And sometimes it can help to do this in a titrated kind of way. So starting with practicing something with something that is very neutral or pleasant. So a pleasant experience or a pleasant emotion and practicing a non-judgmental description of that. It could even be a, a non-judgmental description of a 
piece of artwork that you saw that you think was beautiful or a tree that is blossoming and really practicing sticking to the colors and the textures and the shapes and the patterns and what emotions you experienced, what your body language was, what the physiological sensations were, what what it reminded you of, what positive memories came up. So you can start with something that's very pleasant or neutral, whether it be a pleasant emotion or a pleasant event in your life, and then work your way up to more challenging situations that are more unpleasant in terms of the events themselves or the emotions that they brought up and graduating up to to events and interactions that are more charged, where there's more intense judgment, more intense anger, more intense shame. So really practicing this non-judgmental blow-by-blow account of an event or experience either in written form or again in conversation with someone else can be a really helpful way to practice. So in addition to sticking to what we can observe and this non-judgmental description, it's also helpful to leave out analysis of why something happened or why we thought or felt or acted as you did. Now, Analysis is a very helpful life skill. It's something that I talk about a lot is to really reflect and consider and to dig deeper. And yet when we are trying to practice the skill of non-judgmental stance, it can often be easier if we stick again to the facts and the descriptions rather than the analysis. And another idea for practicing is to use imagery. So to call to mind someone that you know, that you feel really embodies this kind of non-judgmental stance and helping hold that image in mind as you are practicing. If you're someone who is very visual, this kind of imagery can be really meaningful and supportive. You can also use certain symbolic metaphors or examples in this imagery. So for example, I've heard some people talk about imagining non-judgmental stance like a blanket being spread out on a lawn that allows the rain and the sun and each leaf to fall upon it without judgment, just letting it be as it is. So you can imagine yourself as a blanket spread out on a lawn or just call to mind a picture of a blanket on a lawn Or you may have heard people talk about watching judgments that arise in your mind like leaves on a stream kind of coming into your vision and then going out of your vision or like items on a conveyor belt. So that idea of observing and not attaching to the judgment, letting it pass by you. You can also think about judgment as or non-judgmental stance as removing some kind of filter or taking off clouded glasses. You might also think about judgment as having an of of a sort of a witness mind or an observer so imagining you know a little gnome or a little mini version of yourself sitting on your shoulder and that's the representation of observing your experience without judgment and and that is the embodiment of how that narrator or that part of yourself or that stance of a witnessing kind of mind that having that image in mind can help you then describe that experience observe it without judgment so any kind of symbol or image that you can call to mind that can help you with this practice can be really helpful and finally another practice that I think can be really helpful is 
the half smiling willing hands practice which I've mentioned before on this podcast which is a practice by Thich Nhat Hanh and the idea is that our body language our facial expressions send signals to the brain that either intensify or soften emotions. So if we're really angry, as an example, and we're clenching our fists and furrowing our brows and stomping our feet and hitting a pillow, that often perpetuates anger. If we're feeling afraid and we huddle in a corner and we close our eyes and cover our face, that often enhances the fear or the shame. Whereas if we can act opposite to the emotion in our body language and our facial expression it can send signals to the brain that induce a biological shift that can counter that emotion and so that is part of the spirit of this practice and so in this practice when you are feeling particularly non-accepting of reality or very judgmental and it's so hard to approach more of a non-judgmental stance with your language you can experiment with doing this through your body instead sometimes through the body it feels sometimes the body feels a more accessible way to practice this strategy so if I'm feeling really judgmental for example I could place my hands in more of a willing or accepting posture so rather than clenched fists having them gently open, resting on my thighs or my knees, shoulders back and down. And the half smile is not a half grimace or a forced smile. It's slightly upturning the corners of your mouth in a way where there is a slight smile. And and you can also experiment with embodying this this energy of more of an inner smile. And so this is something that when I am practicing half smile, if you were watching me, you may not be able to tell that I'm smiling because it's very subtle. So you're not trying to force yourself to be happy when you're angry um, or, or forcing something that isn't the case. It is a very gentle way of shifting your body posture and taking a few breaths, few moments in this kind of posture that is more willing, more accepting, more open can help you feel more able to access the non-judgmental part of yourself. So I want to close by walking through a bit of a practice that can help us embrace or work towards a more non-judgmental stance. So I'll walk through this practice as more of a mindfulness-based practice, but certainly you are welcome to walk through it as more of a written exercise if that feels more helpful or supportive. So I invite you to come to a comfortable position, either seated, standing, or lying down. And eyes can be either open, gently, or closed. And I invite you to call to mind a recent judgment that you've had about yourself, someone else, or a situation. And if you can, see if you can identify more of a negative judgment. And as you call to mind this judgment, see if you can remember what happened that contributed to that judgment. What events led up to it? What are the details? And notice what you feel in your body. What physical sensations are here? What emotions do you feel when you call this judgment to mind? 
If you like, you can even rate the intensity of those emotions on a scale of 0 to 10 or 0 to 100. And see if you can articulate reasons to let go of this judgment. So consider, how does this judgment harm me? What problems is it causing? Is it bypassing my feelings? Is it preventing me from intimacy? Is it getting in the way of my emotions serving an important function? Is it preventing me from digging deeper and getting the root, getting at the root of what's really bothering me? So is there some reason that makes sense to you, that holds meaning for you? to let go of this judgment, to soften it. And can you replace this judgment with a description of facts or an articulation of a preference, opinion, or value? Can you replace it with a feeling or need? A bodily sensation, an urge? Is there a way to communicate what the situation or person or behavior in yourself reminds you of? Or clarifies something that you wish or want? Is there some way that you can replace this judgment with something more descriptive? Only what is observed through your senses. And can you accept and embrace this more non-judgmental description or articulation as a way to let go of the judgment? Are there any words that can help you? Let it go. This doesn't serve. This is harming you. Are there certain actions you can take that would support the embracing of the non-judgment and the letting go of the judgment, like a softening or relaxation in a part of the body that holds a lot of tension when this judgment is called to mind? Is there a certain body posture or facial expression you could shift into to support the letting go of the judgment? like willing hands and half smile? Is there some kind of imagery that you can call to mind 
to help you embrace the non-judgment. And do you notice any judging of your judging? And can you name that? And as you articulate this more non-judgmental description and work towards letting go of the judgments, integrating any words or actions or imagery that can support you in this practice, notice what you notice now in terms of emotions, thoughts, sensations in your body, any shift from the beginning of this practice to now. And we'll close by taking a full, long, deep breath if you choose and slowly and smoothly letting it out. In closing, I just want to briefly summarize what we've covered today. And I think that this summary can help with the internalization and the integration of all these different pieces. So we first covered the definitions of judgments and how to differentiate between judgmental and non-judgmental language. We also talked about the utility of judgments and the ways in which judgments can be helpful. We also identified several problems with judgments and ways they can keep us stuck and get in the way of the quality of our lives and our relationships to ourselves and others. We talked a bit about the research that supports the importance of trying to embrace more of a non-judgmental stance in our lives and to shift our relationship to judgments. And we closed by identifying some concrete practices that help us change and shift our relationship to our judgments. So we talked about the power of observing judgmental thoughts more informally as well as through counting them. We talked about the importance of connecting with a deeper sense of purpose or reason for letting go of judgments, asking ourselves pointed questions that can help incentivize us to shift our relationship to judging. We also talked about different ways that we can replace judgmental thoughts and statements with more non-judgmental ones through preferences, opinions, values, feelings, bodily sensations, urges, naming judgments, talking about reminders, wishes and wants, and, and consequences. We also talked about the importance of observing and shifting judgmental facial expressions and postures and tone of voice. And we also talked about ways that we can describe events and feelings in our lives in more non-judgmental ways, both in written forms and verbally in communication with others. And we talked about imagery and ways that imagery can support a more non-judgmental stance, as well as the half-smiling willing hands practice by Thich Nhat Hanh. So I do hope that you found this conversation today helpful. I welcome your thoughts and feedback and reactions. I do hope you consider checking out the four-part video series on the science and soul of building resilience if you are interested. And again, as always, I thank you so much for your time, for carving your time out in your busy schedule to listen to this podcast and look forward to being with you again next week. Thank you all. 
Thank you for listening to the science and soul of living well. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe, share it with others, or leave us a review. If you'd like to reach out or connect more, please follow me on Instagram. I hope you'll join us next time.